What's up, everybody? This is Will Stevens, and you're listening to Solopreneur Stories, the podcast that examines the best insights other solopreneurs have already figured out so you can use them in your life. On this show, I speak with guests ranging from brand new consultants to seasoned solopreneurs and passive side giggers to hardcore hustlers. We'll discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies that they're taking advantage of so all of you listening can do the same. In this episode, I speak with Sylvie Spector. Sylvie is a marketing consultant who specializes in the ground floor of startup marketing strategies. She helps founders build go-to-market strategies from scratch. She's also a founder herself of Growth Tribe, which is a private Slack community for marketing freelancers. Sylvie is a friend and always great to speak with. In our conversation, we cover her days in the Israeli startup scene as one of the first 25 employees at Lemonade, what it was like starting her journey as a first-time solopreneur, how she manages expectations with her clients with the help of clearly articulated contracts. We spent a good amount of time exploring a balanced life, what it means to take care of oneself and mitigate burnout, something we both had a lot of thoughts on. I love this conversation. She was a great first guest to have in the podcast, and I'm sure we'll reconnect on here again soon. And with all that, I bring you Sylvie Spector. I'm Sylvie Spector. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, went to school in Philly, um, and then actually moved to Tel Aviv right after I graduated from college and started my career in the startup nation. Worked at a couple of super early stage startups, which was so much fun and a total roller coaster and adventure. And Joined is really like the first marketing person ever on the team, specifically at this company called Lemonade. It's an insurance company. Nobody knew what it was back then. Now it's a public company, which was so fun to watch that happen. I met my husband there and we moved back in 2020, where I still stayed in the startup space and worked at, you know, first marketing hire, was a manager and absolutely loved it. But when the tech bubble burst, I realized it was my time to do my own thing and live out that entrepreneurial bug that I've had for so long. Um, And so I started as a marketing consultant in, let, let me think, I guess it's been eight months. It feels like much longer than that. And I'm just like, felt like I found finally what I really want to be doing. So that's great. So speaking of tech layoffs, it seems like, you know, the cyclical nature of uh, tech booms and busts as of the time of this filming, it's a bit of a bust. Lots of people have been laid off. Were you thinking of doing your own thing prior to the tech bubble bursting? Was this something you had given thought to prior to that event? Absolutely not. I always said there is no way to ever want to start my own company because I'm so passionate about my work and I throw myself in. And I felt that for my mental and physical health, I wouldn't be able to unplug if I started my own thing. But never did I think of offering services instead of a product. And I think if you offer services, you can actually have more of that work-life balance. But truly before November 2022, never once did I consider doing anything like this. Wow. Interesting. So did you find that knowing that about yourself followed you in to like the first three months of doing your own thing? Were you just vicious to yourself? The opposite. I was really kind to myself because I know myself and how easily I can burn out. And 
at my previous companies, you know, starting as a first marketing hire, you feel like it's your child and you put everything into it. And starting your own company feels like even more so. But the difference is that when you're full time, you can't control when people are emailing you or slacking you. You can't control your hours. And so I really was excited to leverage this idea that I could control my hours and force myself to listen to my body, to not overwork myself, to really keep reasonable hours, which is start by 9.30, don't really work later than 7, definitely no, no work on the weekends. And it was a good tone to set for myself because I've continued to be kind and it absolutely must be kind to yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to enjoy your job. Nice. Was it hard for you to develop that? Yes. It is still very hard for me to develop that. I'm dealing with it every single day, needing to take a break, not put all of my energy into my work all the time. And I think that I actually really designed the, my client contracts to ensure that I don't feel an obligation. To, like I don't feel overly obligated to my clients. I think there's something different about being full-time because you just don't have any of those boundaries with your employer and you just always want to give everything. But now that I have control over my terms, I design my terms so that I know I'm allowed to say no. I know I don't need to be working extra because that's the contract that I sign with my client. So it really helps um, with burnout, actually. Not to reveal any of your precious intellectual property or to get too technical, but I'm just no. interested. Could you say more about that? Is that has just protective language that is up to and not to exceed types of terms and conditions that you bake into contracts? Yes. I'd say there's two main clauses that really help. One is that I will get back to you within 48 hours. And I obviously word it much more eloquently on my contract, but um, that's really like the, the gist. And I don't feel a pressure to respond right away or even within 24 hours if I'm sick or if I'm really thinking about another client or another project. That's one. More importantly is that I have an hourly limit every single week that I put in with my retainer clients and with my project-based clients. Even though these are not hourly projects, I say I will work up to 10 to 15 hours a week if we hit our limit then I will inform you and either we will charge overtime or we will have to push the timeline. And when I price out my agreements, I always overestimate how much time things are going to take me because it's humans tend to underestimate. And so that way I don't really risk needing to go overboard when I already explained to them very clearly in the proposal what is going to happen each and every week. So having that hourly limit and having that response limit really enables me to put my own mask on before helping others, which is just so crucial to prevent burnout. Yeah. Seems like that's an inevitability in any project, even in-house or as a consultant, it will change. So yeah, oftentimes you can just hold up the original artifact of here's what we agreed to do. And three days later, we know all of this changed. So you you are not beholden to, you know, you're stuck with this work just because a week ago, it looked like it was going to be that way. We have new information. It's shaping into a different project. Therefore, that, that has been built into this agreement. So we can just get good work done instead of being bean counters. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think it's tough. I think something that we talk about a lot within the Growth Tribe is 
the about how much of your contract you actually enforce, which I think is so, I mean, you know, I've, my, my dad's a lawyer. And so I've always, you know, thought contracts are, are it and it's, you know, golden and everything is in the contract is like what actually happens. But I was kind of surprised by how many people I've spoken to who are afraid to enforce the clauses on their contract. And I've really tried to enforce them no matter what, because as soon as you are lenient, then it becomes a slippery slope. And then the client is like, well, you were lenient with that. Why are you not lenient with this? So it's just keep those clauses and keep those rules. I think it's just really important. Yeah. I think there's something about being an in-house employee where it can feel safer to have broader boundaries and almost slide on performance. Whereas on the consultant and solopreneur space, it's such an important quality of work space, which is part of what I enjoy about it. But it's a small world and all of those referral conversations are precious. So it's almost like if you don't go above and beyond and over deliver, a good client can turn into a bad one and try and torpedo your reputation, which can cause larger and longer term harm. So I think it's a balance that a lot of people run into. Yes, 100%. And I think that the most important thing in maintaining a good client relationship is delivering that really high high quality work. And I think that clients do respect you if you enforce the agreement that you came that you that you made with them. I think it forces them to yeah, have respect for you. But I think that I've never witnessed a client being annoyed that I enforce something on my contract. But I've also never gone halfway on any client project. To your point, that's the really fun thing, but also challenging thing about client work. And what also makes it not for everybody is that every single thing you deliver, you must be okay with it. You know, showing up on the first page of the New York Times, like you need to be so proud of that work. And that's not for everybody. I mean, in the workplace, I've worked with so many people who just coast and who just are good doing the bare minimum, quiet quitting, all these trendy words that are coming up. And if that's, if if anyone, someone who doesn't really want to be putting their all towards every single project, then it's just, you're not a good fit for, for doing this. Because as you said, quality work is just king and it's not the same in full-time jobs. Yeah. I think as an employee, some Sometimes, and it can even be a good thing, there's a bit of an expectation that you are expected to be obedient. A good employee equals an obedient employee. Sounds like you were a bit like me, where I'm actually a bit of a disruptor and a disturbance, where if I think that it's a bad brief or a bad project, you're literally paying me to disagree with you. And that can you know, be stronger for the relationship, or it can be damaging the relationship. But you kind of have to have a stronger backbone when it's all your own work instead of kind of hiding in the herd of a lot of like internal project stuff. Uh, B to go, you mentioned Growth Tribe and I was wanting to get to that. So talk about Growth Tribe. I'll talk about Growth Tribe. So as I mentioned, going f- going freelance was a way to satisfy this entrepreneurial bug that I've had for so long that I feel like once you've worked in so many early stage startups, you can't help but get that to watch the co-founders, watch the CEOs and be like, I want to do that. And having learned so much about what makes for a successful company, you just, you want to try. And, but never did I think that when I would go freelance, I would also want to start a totally separate product, but I was just so fascinated. You know, obviously when you first start as a freelancer, you don't know what you're doing. How much should I write in my contracts? What should I, what should I do about taxes? How do I get a new client? What's my brand? You have so many questions. And obviously the first thing you do is reach out to your network and try to meet people who are doing this too. 
And I was just so fascinated by the commonality in the conversations of where everybody is struggling, which is different than when I've spoken to full-time people because different companies have different struggles. But as marketing freelancers, we're all kind of in the same company and culture. You know, we all face the same issues. And, you know, everyone doesn't know how to price. Everyone struggles with getting clients. Everyone is lonely, misses having coworkers, doesn't have that person to go to and vent to, and doesn't have that person to just ask these random issues that you never think would would come up with, with a client or with a contract. You know, it's such a cheesy thing, but I just created what I felt like I needed because I felt like I had a couple freelance friends and I would just text and bother. And I'm like, why don't we just get all of us just in one place? Like, why don't we just ask each other these questions? And it's been amazing. It's my favorite thing that I'm doing every day. It's just so much fun to meet like-minded people and to connect people and to have you know, watch anybody struggle in freelancing in any way and see them get, you know, such incredible answers back because we've all been there. So we all know how to give that advice more so than any article or blog post that you'll read because it's just so much more personal towards the issue that you actually have. Yeah. As a happy member of the Growth Tribe community, (laughs) I love that. Despite the word being in the title of, um, I guess, both my job function and this podcast, I consistently take issue with the term solopreneur. I think it's a bit of a misnomer. I think it's a fashionable term and a lot of people have agreement on what it means, but you can be a lone wolf. It just feels better to be in a pack of other lone wolves. So there's this absence of community and even catharsis of just chatting with peers who get it, who have been there, done it, experienced it, maybe in a different way, but still helpful way. And I think it comes back to just building relationships authentically in a network, because this space is highly meritocratic. There's really nowhere to hide. You do good work or you don't. So you know, organizing a community where people can have each other to do that is really important. Exactly. And it was really interesting because I was trying to find this myself before I started it. And there are so many communities out there that are only freelancers, or there are so many communities out there that are only marketers, but there isn't anything that's both. And even the communities that are out there, I felt like are very performative and it's very much, hey, I did this, everyone check it out. Or people just taking, just asking for a question. It's very transactional, but there's no relationships. You know, you're in this community that has 10,000 people, you don't know anyone. It doesn't feel like it actually gives you those true connections of friends and coworkers and work wives. So the absence of any type of space specifically for marketing freelancers and any place that really enables you to feel safe and really express your true issues instead of trying to show off so you can get more clients from that Slack channel was what really inspired me to start it. Yeah. I think sometimes there's an expectation that when you are a quote unquote solopreneur, however one is applying that term, you almost need to have the gravitas of I have all the answers. That's why I'm doing my own thing when nothing could be further from the truth. So yeah, to be able to have a network to tap into and say, hey, I need technical support on this project. Like I need skills that I just don't have. Let's explore collaborators. Let's explore subcontract contracting. Let's you know explore working together, but then even just like camaraderie of a place where You can vent and share stories and kind of be enlightened by those who have seen it before, felt it before, been through it before. 
it's a nice community to be part of. Exactly. And everyone has something they're struggling with, every single person. And by not admitting that and not asking questions, you're just hurting yourself because you're not getting that help that you need. And so I feel like some people can see asking questions and asking for help as a weakness, but I really do see it as a strength. And I feel like creating a space where everyone feels comfortable asking the questions that they have helps everyone grow in their own way. And also in the other way, I think helps others be confident in what they do because a question that one person is struggling with, but that you actually feel like you're an expert in, it feels really good to offer that expertise and to help somebody. So you feel more confident. They feel better because you helped them. And I just wish there was more of that honesty and transparency around like what we're struggling with and willingness to help and knowing that it's actually a strength and not a weakness. Mm. So you mentioned a history with Lemonade and startups. We have Growth Tribe. What are some of the other specific services that you work on? And how did you decide to niche into those services specifically? Yes, I remember this phase so well of when I decided I want to start as a marketing consultant and having everybody tell me like, if you're everything to everyone, you're nothing to no one. And just saying, I do marketing for startups is going to get you zero clients. You need to figure out what you specialize in. And that's really hard and scary. And it's like an identity crisis. So I wrote down every single project I can remember that I had at my past startup jobs and then separately wrote down what I felt like I was really good at. And it's interesting because I feel like when people niche down, it's often thinking about the services that you offer, which is so crucial, but it's also thinking about who you're offering it to and what your approach to those services is. And I felt like that second one, who you're offering it to, was the easiest for me to narrow down. Working with founders at early stage startups as the first marketing person. I help founders with big ambitions and very little marketing, something like that. So really honing in on specifically who am I speaking to? Because as marketers, we know the more specific you are about who your audience is and the more you're able to um, imagine your audience, like see themselves so clearly in your copy, the better. So that was like the easiest for me to narrow down is that I want to be that first marketing hire. I want to be the first one in there. And then the third one was also also easier for me to think about, which is like, what is your approach? What makes you different than everybody else in the way that you're doing your services, which I knew were going to be something in messaging, branding, marketing strategy, marketing execution, and content. But that's, again, really broad. How do we narrow that down? So I really thought about how at Lemonade, you know, Lemonade was so interesting as, you know, my first full-time job because it was this huge insurance industry that is one of the biggest industries in the U.S., one of the most recognizable names that I'm sorry everybody hates. And it's really hard to break into it, especially as a new player that has no credibility and you're talking about like protecting your stuff with them. You need that trust. And so at Lemonade, it was always like, different is better than better. We don't want to try to one up these other insurance companies. We want to be different from them. We want to stand out. We want to we want to differentiate ourselves, not by saying, oh, we're better than Geico because we have better policies and better this and better that. It's we're different from Geico because we do things differently and bring ourselves differently. And, you know, this idea of how do you stand out in a crowded market is, I think, the thing that I'm so passionate about in marketing. It's like what we talked about earlier, how we're the disruptors, you know, um, we think about things differently. We challenge others. So this idea of enabling people to stand out um, in a crowded market was something that 
and be different was something that like was very clear to me that I wanted to be emphasizing. So that was that one. And then as I decided what services to narrow down, I kind of realized it was fitting into three buckets, which is messaging and branding. So you have absolutely no idea what you're called, what you're saying, who your audience is, or go to market. So you have that, but you haven't actually launched your product. What channels are you launching on and why? And then actually doing it for you. Or you've already done that and then lead generation. So actually getting that demand in those leads. And I think the common thing that that goes throughout them is that you're a really early stage company, an early stage founder, and you haven't been able to appeal to the American market as much as you would want to. Truthfully, I want to narrow down that first part. I really think it's too broad still, but I think narrowing down my audience and how I approach things has really helped me stand out so far. Yeah, it can be hard to niche into something specifically without it feeling too constraining and too almost FOMO of like, if I'm not these other things, I'm leaving money on the table if those things are in demand and I'm capable and good at doing them. So the trade-offs of placing your bets on who you are, the services you offer, the problems those services solve, who they solve them for, and all that stuff can be a tough decision. It really is. And I feel like That is one of the biggest issues that everyone in Growth Tribe faces is how niche should I be? I don't want to lose opportunities. But I think that what's so important is even if you're offering a bunch of different things, making it very thematic who you're doing this for. I do think that there are some people who are too afraid to narrow and are saying too broad. And I think when somebody comes to your LinkedIn, it should be very, very clear what type of founder and what type of company is best for you. So I do always challenge people to try to narrow down more than they are because, you know, and we're marketers, we know this, but if, you know, a founder comes to your website or, you know, a a potential client comes to your website and they see that you offer events and social and affiliate and ABM, you're not like, they're not going to be like, oh, that person's for me because they're so random. So I think trying to narrow down to that persona is so important. And I really challenge people to do it more. I know it's scary, but I think it will bring you more clients than I think it will improve conversion rates so that you'll ultimately have more clients than you would have otherwise. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit because yeah, there's a lot of plates spinning across a lot of this. You brought up time management, you brought up organization, you have clients, you have the community that you're leading, no shortage of stuff going on. Any advice for running an operation smoothly, managing one's time effectively, what's in your tech stack, tools and resources that are indispensable to you. Yes, for sure. One of the hardest things about being a marketing consultant is that you have so much going on. And I feel like that context switching is so cognitively draining and you don't even realize it. And so I really try to not do more than two things in one day, whether it's two clients, one client and growth tribe or whatever it is. And when I say two things in one day, I mean something that you're really putting thought towards. Obviously, every day I need to answer your emails. Every day I need to, you know, going to go into growth tribe and engage. But when you're really sitting and putting that thought, do not do more than two clients a day because you're going to drive yourself insane and you're going to burn out. And another thing is that I really try to interweave rejuvenating non-work things into my day. So this morning I worked out and yesterday I had a walk with a friend at noon. So I think if you're just sitting at your desk all day, you're just not going to function as well in your in your mind. And so it's like, 
okay, I'll work on client one in the morning, then I'll see a friend for lunch, and then I'll work on client two. So you have that ability to sort of rejuvenate yourself. I think that's especially for us extroverts sitting in your apartment all day without coworkers that I want to chat to can be really draining. So I, I, if you have any questions on that, or I can just talk about my tools. No, I love all that. I think there's developed self-awareness that is also a common trait among solopreneurs and freelancers where that went into their decision to do their own thing. It was motivated part by things like having a more balanced day that wasn't stuck in meetings that were frankly not the most productive day in and day out. Sort of examining one's day-to-day life and choosing, I think I'd like lunch with a friend without my manager yelling at me about it. I think I'd like to wake up at 5 a.m. and do a five-hour, highly caffeinated, uninterrupted block of work. And then at 10 a.m., go to the gym. And I, job done. Great. I can come back after lunch and just hit the gas again and be just as productive. So with all the things you have going on, what is Sylvie's favorite way to relax? So cheesy, but just watching Netflix. (laughs) Because my mind goes at 5 million miles an hour all the time. So I need something else that's going to occupy my mind that enables my body to sit and relax. And so watching Netflix is like the best and really snuggle with my dog while I'm doing it because she's so cute and she just really rejuvenates me. And going for a really good walk is amazing, getting that fresh air. But I think that anything I'm doing to relax where I'm not actually occupying my brain in a way that's also forcing it to relax is not actually relaxing. But also I want to go back to something that you said, because this idea of having all this freedom as a marketing consultant is like the biggest blessing, but also the biggest curse. I remember reading in one of my favorite books called The Happiness Hypothesis that humans are not meant to have that much autonomy. We actually really need structure. And every time I'm trying to convince my, I'm just such like a evangelist for everything that I love. So every time I'm trying to convince my friends, even though they're not even asking me to, about going freelance, they're like, I need structure. I don't know how you do that. And I think it can be really overwhelming to be able to plan your own schedule and to be able to do exactly what you want because you're always having to go through these identity crises of like, what do I want? Who am I? How do I want to spend my time? So I think it can seem really glamorous and I think it actually is really glamorous. My friends are like, I'm so jealous. You just went for a run at 3 p.m. But then it's also like the amount of thought that needs to go in to how I want to spend my time can be really tough, which is why I also love time blocking on my calendar. I need to force myself to do it more because it takes away that choice. I think you need that balance of like letting yourself have choice, but also structuring your day so you don't overthink things all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I tell this to anyone I work with because I think it's a very low bar, but if you want the best quality of work from me, here's what I need. And it includes things like just going to the gym in the morning. I'm online by 8 a.m., but if you're trying to schedule a call with me before 8 a.m., that is precious, sacred me time. And without that, I don't have as good of a me to bring into the rest of the day. So I think a lot of this is a can come back to burnout. And I've experienced it myself. I think collectively the world is experiencing it in a lot of ways. Talk to me about burnout. It seems like you have a lot of good healthy habits, but how do you maintain those good habits in scary times, uncertain economic conditions, end of year performance reviews with clients? Yeah, it's really hard. I gotta say, like 
I think that we're so used to like this instant gratification and these instant results. And when you're feeling burnt out, it's usually the unsexy thing that's going to be the most helpful. So it takes so much willpower. And I got, I'm not doing the best, like I'm not doing it well a lot of the time because it's annoying. But when I'm good about it, it's really about listening to your body so much. Like your body is your second brain and my body very clearly, very clearly tells me that I'm starting to get a little bit of a headache or not feel good, and I'm thinking too much. And I have this bad habit because I'm a very big like perseverer that I need to get things done to completion before I stop it. It's kind of like an OCD thing, and it sounds like it's a great trait, but it's can be bad because you ignore what your body's telling you and you keep pushing to get it done. And I've been actually recently setting an alarm at 45 minutes when I'm in deep focus mode to force myself to get up and go sit on my couch and snuggle with my dog. Because, you know, once you start feeling that headache or feeling bad, it's too late already. So I think just like trying to be very disciplined with these preventative habits, like drinking water, which I was so bad at, but I recently got this more like sippy cup bottle that's making it more fun to drink water. And that's really, really helping. And just recognizing that like, this is not going to be the sexy stuff taking care of yourself it's just not like it's not fun you can't expect to lay on the couch and feel really great and like feel like that's what you want to be doing but it's so necessary to enable yourself to really function at at top capacity but definitely don't have it all figured out and I think I want to emphasize that because I I don't want anyone to think like oh everyone else has it all figured out and I you know I don't like I think we're all struggling with it and it takes a lot of willpower. Yeah, I think there's dimension of hustle culture that wrongly tries to convince people to brute force work through anything, everything, all the time. The solution is just to work more and work harder, where realizing that maybe you already worked too much and doing less is the only way to continue working. It's like when uh, you know race cars pull into the pit stop, otherwise they'll blow the tires apart. You know, that's us. That's our emotions, that's our body, that's our bladders for, you know, all these multi-hour meetings that some of us sit on. And it's like, wait a minute, I just have these basic biological needs. Allow me to please take care of them. So it can be uh, tough to do that in the face of what seems like a work culture that expects everybody to just do more and more. Yeah, 100%. Something that's really helped me recently, it sounds weird. I know we were actually chatting about playlists that we like to listen to when we're working recently in the Growth Tribe. And I actually listen to spa music, which is bizarre, but it makes me slow down as I'm working. Because if I'm listening to lo-fi or something that's like, you know, brain food or one of those that's really putting you in that tunnel, I lose all sense of self and will get to that place where I work until I don't feel good. So spa music forces me to be a bit slower with it which is really helpful, weirdly. I love that. I have actually done the same. Really? Yeah, maybe there's something in your subconscious that you need a spa afternoon to, speaking of self-care and uh, you know, taking care of oneself. <laughs> can I ask you? I, I want to know about, can you tell me like what you do about burnout? I'm curious. I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you a question. No, that's great. Flip it around on me. Okay. I, I think I learned the hard way by realizing how terrible I felt and how burned out I was. And then it was just taking a break and examining what were the root causes of this. And that was hard for me because part of it was I had let myself down of how could I have let other people control my time, influence my emotions? You know, I was working off of other people's checklists for what? And I realized it was disrupting my sleep. 
It was causing certain anxieties that I had never had before in my life. They were like foreign objects that I was just newly experiencing. So I think it was very educational for me to go through. It was not fun, but I've luckily managed to take the, the bad raw materials as an output of burnout and just learn from it and be a bit more strict with myself and the discipline for going to the gym, actually eating lunch instead of, you know, I'll get to it later and then it's 8 p.m. and you haven't done that at all. Quiet time with the dog and family, simple stuff, but also just being that much more present there because a lot of it was deprioritized for work, 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 and it was not a good combination. So similarly to you, I'm not the best at all of that. I was a late bloomer. I feel like some people are just like very enlightened in their earlier years. I'm lucky it didn't, you know, catch up to me too, too much later and result in a heart attack or anything. But it's like, how many meetings or how many things have you done because someone else expected it of you and you did it anyways? What about what you expect from yourself? And that was hard for me to you know, look at myself and realize that I had taken on so much of other people's things in my professional life and my personal life, and I was nowhere to be found in any of it. No wonder I had burned out. So that's been another learning curve, trying to not feel selfish about prioritizing me at the expense yeah. of sometimes other people and other priorities. You got to do it. You brought the analogy up earlier that I like of you got to put your mask on first. And I think that carries into a lot of different pockets of life. So yeah. we're working on it. Every day is a new day. Um, sometimes it's two steps forward, two steps back. That's life. But also just structuring the time. You know, I have pockets in the day where I try and just hold because I know after a three-hour uninterrupted deep work block, I could probably use some air. <laughs> I could probably get another glass of water, go to the bathroom, and kind of just like clear my head for 20 minutes. And that can be enough just to have like the ROI on that break can be multiples of like, okay, I, I rested for 20 minutes on the couch with my dog. And I was able to go back and have another several hours of undistracted, focused, productive work time. Good. <laughs> Run your business that way, right? So a bit of my story, but uh, thanks for asking. No, I, I feel like we're, you know, so many of us are going through this. And I love that you mentioned root causes because I feel like very often we're like, okay, I'm having this symptom. How can I alleviate that symptom? But it's really like what caused it? Because, you know, alleviating a symptom is just putting a Band-Aid on it. And it's like doing that really inner reflection of what caused this in the first place. And so I think that for a while when I was like with my burnout, I was just like, okay, what pill can I pop when I'm feeling a headache to feel better in the moment? But then the headaches keep happening. So it's not really going to change anything. Well, I think we've hit on a lot of big themes like, your hero's journey, the inciting events of tech bubble layoffs ensuing thereafter. We've talked about burnout. We've talked about time management and autonomy. I think this type of conversation will resonate with a lot of folks who are either already doing this or considering it. So it's becoming a more popular topic. Where do you see this space going? Yeah, I think it's just going to continue growing as in, I think that demand for marketing consultants and the number of marketing consultants is always is only going to keep increasing you know just based on the number of messages i'm getting through growth tribe hey i have a friend who just decided to go freelance can you add them to this and just understanding the benefit to these internal like you know to the companies themselves they don't have to pay our health insurance they don't need to pay a full-time employee especially in you know what the 
the tech bubble bursting. They don't want to, you know, salary is the first thing to go when you're trying to cut back on um, expenses. And I think consultants are much better bang for your buck. And I think something that I'm very curious about is where AI is going to play into this. Is AI going to help us or because we're going to be able to be more efficient? Or is it going to hurt us because companies are going to rely on AI instead of hiring consultants? Mm -hmm. That's a question mark for me. Yeah. Hopefully the former. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot. I I don't like uh, being so generalized so as to put people into two groups. But I think with AI, it does kind of create a group of people who are interested in working with it and becoming smarter and having it augment already existing talent and skills that they can get their hands on. And there's people who are using AI to avoid working and getting smarter and developing. And I think those in the latter camp will probably pretty easily be replaced because the people who are using it to become smarter and to work with will be able to be far more productive and uh, yeah, probably displace some of those who are, are refusing to to see the future. So how do you see the difference between those two camps? Um, who like How can you use it to become smarter or to become dumber? I think becoming dumber is, I think, getting more and more obvious where folks literally just copy paste a chat GPT output. It's the most you know low value, unquestioning, uncritical thinking type of way to, to use the work. And it's not, you can tell it's becoming more obvious. Whereas I think some people can, they're excited to show you their work of like, hey, here's how I use this too, and then insert their own unique spin or their own unique creation or combination of things. And I think there's also just like a very interest to invest further into that instead of an interest in doing nothing, clicking some buttons, and having the AI do it all or for you. Exactly. And then I think there's an, a third camp who just doesn't want to touch AI. They don't like it. They're afraid of it. They, yeah, my friends make fun of me for how much I use ChatGPT. And there's a, the right, there is a right way and wrong way to use it. To your point, there are certain things that I would absolutely never use it for. There are certain things that I use it for every single time. Like, you know, the number of emails I'm writing every single day, if I'm going to proofread every single one, it's, I mean, obviously I'm going to proofread it too, but putting it in ChatGPT saying what typos and errors do I have is such a time saver. You know, there's certain things where it's so helpful and I feel very lucky that it came out around the time that I went freelance. But on the other hand, there is negative to it. And I, I've definitely had clients who, you know, asked me to write a blog post and they're like, well, why is this going to take you so long? Can't you just put it in chat GBT? And having to educate people on what it's for and what it's not is very important. And I'm very curious how it's going to evolve as it continues to get smarter. Yes. I think you've emphasized a point from earlier of being able to tell a client, hey, time out. Let me actually tell you why you just asked the wrong questions and I will need to reset your expectations. I can push a button and give you a chat GPT output, but I'm not going to do that to you. And you need to know this so that you raise an eyebrow to anyone who is doing this for you. Because I think, yeah, not everybody is as informed or is, uh, can as easily spot these things, but that's where a good advisor, a good consultant uh, a good collaborator comes in. So that's exactly. what's next for for the space of consulting and freelancing and solopreneurship. What's next for you? One thing that I need to force myself to focus on more is this idea of personal branding. I remember when I started as a marketing consultant, everyone told me post on LinkedIn, post on LinkedIn. And I really didn't want to. I find it so cringe. It's so performative. It's just not my vibe. 
And it took me a while to do it. But as I was trying to get more clients, I'm like, you know what? Let me just do it. And it really helped. It really, really did increase the number of inbounds I would get. And when you increase your inbounds and increasing demand, when the supply stays the same, you can then increase your price. And I feel like something that we chat about a lot in the Growth Tribe is like, how can I make each and every contract more lucrative? And I think that working on my personal brand is going to help with that. And I really want to force myself to sit down and write a bunch of freaking LinkedIn posts because I really do procrastinate it a lot. That's one thing I want to start focusing on more. Another is deciding if I want to narrow down what I'm doing. I got this advice when I was first freelancing of like, just offer one very specific product and package that's kind of a gateway to people needing you more. So for example, someone was like, just do positioning. Only that because people will know you as a positioning girl. They'll come to you for that. And then if they need positioning, they probably also need go to market, brand, you know, all these other things. So become more well known in that. So first you can become more efficient in like this one specific offering. And also so you can get known for that. And then find your clients that way. And so I've been thinking about it. It's very hard to decide if I want to try that because as you said, narrowing down is very scary. And also someone who loves doing a bunch of different things. I don't know if I'm ready for it, but I'm really contemplating it because I think it will help with scaling. And the last one, sorry, it's a long answer, is thinking about maybe bringing on an intern. I really miss managing. That was like one of my favorite parts of working as a full-time employee, really mentoring and growing marketers and being able to do that plus being able to offload some work sounds really nice. Yeah, a lot of goals, not so much time. So I need to kind of prioritize and see what will be the most impactful. Great. Well, look out LinkedIn. Sylvie's going to start typing and put her face out there. So you've said it and it's recorded. Now, uh, we can't wait to see what you what you see saying. You're share. so right. Now that I said told everyone I'm doing it, I must do it. That's good. Nice. So besides all of the great content that you're going to be putting out there for the world to interact with, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach you? Who do you want to work with? Yeah, you could always message me on LinkedIn. I feel like that's the best way to get in touch with people. I can tell you my email. It's sylvie.spector at gmail.com. But I feel like that's annoying for you to have to write that down. So always on LinkedIn. Um, and I love meeting and connecting with truly anyone because you always learn something new from a conversation that you have. And I really try to just be open. But you know, if you're a marketing freelancer and you are feeling those pain points that we talked about of feeling lonely or feeling lost with um, any marketing freelancing best practices or also struggling to get new gigs, which also great about Growth Tribe is that we post a lot of job referrals in there. It's usually like warm leads from people in our network. So if you're struggling with that, please get in touch. We'd be happy to have you on. And if you're an early stage founder that is trying to determine your brand identity or the best way to go to market or increase your demands, you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn, but anything in between, if anything I said resonated with you, would be happy to hear. Um, we'd be happy to continue the conversation. So Love it. Great. Sylvie, thanks for being a peer and a thought partner and collaborator and a friend, and now officially a podcast guest. So this is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I love hearing from any of you. So if there's comments, feedback, requests, you name it, please shoot me a DM. If you found any of this interesting or useful, please let me know. If you're ever interested in working with any guests who come on the show and, and would like an introduction, please don't hesitate to reach out. 
And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, I'm always looking to have more conversations with interesting people willing to share their stories. Don't be shy to shoot me a note and we can have a chemistry session to see if our dialogue would be a good fit to share with others. Stay tuned for more episodes and updates and take care. Thank you.